God has been faithful through it all, has he not been? Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's stand this morning. And I'm going to ask you, if you can, to uh, turn to two places in your Bible. One is in uh, Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus chapter number 16, if you could turn there and hold your place. And then, if you'll go over to our text this morning in Joshua chapter number 5, and we'll come back to Exodus 16 in just a minute. We're going to be in quite a few verses in Exodus 16, but we're going to begin in Joshua chapter number 5 this morning. And so follow along with us. If you're visiting today, there's an outline in your bulletin this morning, and hopefully you found that. And many of the scriptures we will be looking at are provided for you that you can follow along in that way too. And hopefully you'll see the message this morning. I've entitled it, What Is It? What Is It? You'll see this morning as the Lord points some things out to us this morning. Joshua chapter 5, verse number 11. The Bible says, And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you for your provision in life. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. Where would we be without the Lord? Lord, the answer to that is we would be bound for hell. Lord, I pray today that if there is someone that does not know Christ, that today that they would feast on that manna, that they would trust in the bread of life, Lord, that their life would be changed for all of eternity. And Lord, those of us that know Christ, may our lives truly be enriched because of who he is and what he has done for us. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word of God this morning. You know, as you look at this passage of scripture in Joshua chapter number 12, it reminds us of one thing here, and that is that for 40 years, now think about this, for 40 years, God's people, the children of Israel, had been waiting to claim the promise that God had given to Abraham and his descendants many years before this time. Now think about that. If somebody promised you something and they said, look, I'll make good on that promise, but it might take me a while. I mean, you might be okay for six months, maybe a year, maybe five years, but 40 that's a long time to wait for something. But when you look at this passage, it reminds us of that very promise. Look what the Bible says in Genesis 13, beginning in verse number 14 in your outline. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, here's what God says to Abram, who became Abraham. He says, lift up thine, now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. In other words, Abram, I want you to look in every direction. Now, you remember what Lot chose, right? The well-watered plains, right? But God says, Abram, I want you to look in every direction as far as your eye can see. And God says, I will, all that land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. 
Notice the word of God, forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Now, how many of you realize this morning that if God makes a promise, God will keep his word. God will never go back on one promise. Not one promise of God has ever fallen to the ground. And this is the promise that God makes. What a great promise it is. And when you look at Joshua 5, our text this morning, that very promise that he made back in the book of Genesis is about to be fulfilled. It was on the verge of being fulfilled. For 40 years, the children of Israel had wandered around in the wilderness and wandering around they had according to the word of God crossed over Jordan's river and now in their lives they are camping in what the Bible describes as Canaan now these people no doubt as they wandered around they like all of us in life they became tired at times they became weary but here in the passage they are about to lay claim on what we would describe as their inheritance, as what God had promised to them. Now, when they moved into that land and they claimed that promise, there were some changes that were going to take place for Israel. And that's what we need to see this morning, because one of the things that God uh, uh, really, through the man of God, helps them understand is, is that this land that is now going to be yours, that you're going to have to fight for it. That they're going to have to war against other nations. There's going to be a series of battles, especially against the people of the land known as Canaanites, because that land had been their home. And because of that, God says, look, I will fight for you. I will go before you, and I will allow you to lay claim on that, to settle down in that land, the land of Canaan, where... When you get there, that you will enjoy all the blessings of life. What a great opportunity for these people, God's people. Now, one of the major changes that they were going to face when this happened, when this promise became a reality, is what we just read about there in Joshua 15. uh, Joshua chapter 5, the Bible says, the manna ceased on the morrow after that they had eaten of the old corn of the land neither had the children of Israel manna anymore see the manna ceased as Israel traveled through the wilderness think about this there were no McDonald's there was no fast food in fact there wasn't really ovens and places where they could cook and prepare things when you stop and think about it a lot of times I think about when they traveled around, and and a lot of times we think, boy, I'm so hungry. But think about this. As they traveled around for 40 years, people estimate that it was about somewhere in the area of 2 to 3 million people. That was going to take some serious food. Uh, Dr. Rasmussen that's going to be here with us, he has been in college work and really encouraging people to serve the Lord and as God calls people and, 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 and sends him off to Bible college. That's where I originally met the man years ago in the state of Tennessee. One of the things that God put Dr. Rasmussen in charge of is the food services at two of these 
colleges, and Dr. Rasmussen does a great job at that, of feeding the troops. And a lot of times I would watch as the entire college student body would come in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, and, and how they would feed those, those, uh, those college students as they would come in. And I can't even imagine, I mean, back then it was about a 1,000 college students, but we're talking two to three million people an enormous amount of food, and in response to that need, what did God do? God moved in a supernatural way. God gave them this substance that we read about this morning, which is called manna. Now, this manna came down from heaven. You know what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews? All gifts come down from above, right? Everything comes from the Lord. You know, if you got a job and you made some money this week, can I tell you, you might have worked that job, but God gave you favor with that boss. God gave you the health to work that job. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. Understand that God is providing for you. God is helping you in your life. And that's what God did for the children of Israel was God provided for them. Now, it's interesting when you study this passage, and we're going to look at it this morning, that it was interesting. They went out in the morning. And as they went out in the morning, all they had to do was to walk around and gather the manna that God provided for them. In other words, to pick up their supply for that day. God sent the manna every day. Did you hear what I said? Every day. My God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God provided for them in the wilderness, and as they went out, there was enough food every day, and as they journeyed through the wilderness, God gave them the manna. God gave them. Now, some of you right now are going, wait a minute, so like if I had beans today, I'd have beans tomorrow, I'd have beans the next day. As a matter of fact, I'd eat beans every day for 40 years. We're a little bit spoiled here, aren't we? The way I look at it is, you'd have food every day for 40 years. What's the alternative? No food. God provided for them. Now, the only exception to that was the Sabbath. Remember, this was God's people, the nation of Israel, Jewish people. And understand that they don't work, they don't do certain things on the Sabbath, so what God would do is God would provide for them, and that was the only exception. So on the day before the Sabbath, what God did was God provided them what the Bible calls a double portion. They would go out like they would do the other days of the week, but when they went out that day, they would actually take twice as much. Now, just to give you an idea, I did a little study, and they said that it, the Bible says it was an omer per person. Now, I've got, we've got in our house some measuring cups and some uh, teaspoons and measuring spoons, things like that, but I don't have anything that says an omer on it. You know, if I was going to make something, I don't know how many omers it would be, but to give you an idea, an omer is equivalent to about two quarts. So two quarts per person. So when they went out on the, the day before the Sabbath, instead of two quarts per person, and over per person, it was two over per person. Y'all with me? Okay. And so just trying to help you understand, 
what they were up against, what they experienced as they went out the day before the Sabbath. They would gather their food like other days. But the Bible says that as we come to our scripture today, that the manna ceased. Now let's look at this in the word of God about this manna and see what the Bible has to say. Notice, first of all, the Bible says that we need to understand what the manna pictured. What does the manna picture? Now, again, a lot of us, we, if we had our option on what we were going to eat today, I dare say most of us in here would probably not say, hey, I'm going to go get some manna for lunch. But I want you to understand it, and that's why I wanted you to turn your Bible to Exodus 16, because here's what you need to keep in mind this morning is that the manna in the Word of God is a gift of God's grace to His people. Look what the Bible says in Exodus 16, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of where? Out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. That's always good when people gripe and complain, right? And the Bible says, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses. Now, by the way, notice there, anytime we talk, God knows everything. Here they are, bellyaching, griping, complaining. And even though they're doing it to the man of God, God's listening. And the Bible says in verse number four, the Lord said unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from where? From heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. If you're, if you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, underline that phrase that I may prove them. You see, we're going to see that this morning, that this manna was a test. See, I thought it was food. Sure it was. But there were certain things that God was going to ask them to do in regards to this manna. And you need to understand this morning that God wants to provide for you, but many times God will ask you to do it his way and not your way. God will ask you to obey his word and not do what you want, do what he wants you to do. And God says, I'm going to do this to prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Verse 5, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, again, we've got to understand this matter of what does the man a picture, because here's what we see in those verses that we just read is that the manna was sent in response to their complaint, the complaining of the people. In verse number three, the Bible says they were hungry and they began to talk about how they missed the food. The Bible says they ate to the full in Egypt. Of course, Egypt's a type of the world. In verse number four, God tells Moses, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The Bible actually calls it angel's food. It's interesting. I mean, if you like angel food cake, 
Yeah, get some strawberries, whipped cream. Anybody getting hungry? I am. And so, so here's the thing is, he says, I'm going to give him bread. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And then in verse number five, God tells Moses that the manna was going to serve as a test to these people. That God was going to use their response to the manna, what God rains down, what God sends to them. By the way, are you starting to get this? I mean, this message isn't about money. But again, you understand that money many times is a good test to see for God to see where your heart is because where your treasure is there will your heart be also right and so again many times now maybe that's why I don't have any money because God knows he can't trust me I don't know but I know that many times God will do something in our lives or not do something to prove us to see if we're going to do what God's instructed us to do or no so here's what we see is is that it becomes a test of their obedience to his law. Now, the manna that God is talking about here is really an Old Testament type that's sent from the Lord and what it becomes, and I think you'll see this this morning, I don't think I'm, I'm exaggerating or stretching the word of God. I believe it's a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that God, as he sent the manna from heaven, guess what he did? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son into this world to redeem us from our sins. Can I get an amen about that? Amen. Now think about this, because just like God was going to send his son, God chose for these people that were hungry, for these people that were living in the wilderness, for these people that were without, God sent them bread from heaven. What did this man a picture? Well, notice this morning a few things that we see and how it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse number 14 of Exodus 16, look what the Bible says in verse 14, and when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. Notice, first of all, that it pictured the Lord Jesus Christ because it was small. Now, in no way am I saying that Jesus, God's son, is small. But I want you to see this morning that the smallness of it speaks of his humility. Colossians 1.17 clearly tells us that Jesus Christ is the creator of this universe. The Bible says, by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by him and for him, and by, by him all things consist. But, listen, even though he created this entire world and everything that is in this world, the Bible tells us that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Does that amaze you the way it amazes me? That God could have chosen any way to save us from our sins. But God chose to send his son into this world who became a servant that he might die for the sins of all people on the cross of Calvary. You know what I say to that? What love. What grace. When I think about that, what supreme condescension that Jesus, the son of God, left the splendors of heaven and came to this world and lived among us. And see, when I look at that manna 
it was something that was small. But notice, secondly, it pictured the Lord because it was round. The Bible says it was like a, a, a little wafer, a circle on the ground. Now, you know what I think about when I think about the Lord is I think about how just like that circle has no beginning and no ending. This ring on my finger, it doesn't have a starting point and a stopping point. It's a cylinder. It has no beginning and no end. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ, because he is God, that he, has, he is eternal God, he has no beginning, he has no ending, that the Bible clearly tells us that he is eternally God. He did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you get that? Before Abraham was even born, before Abraham lived on this earth, I was here. I have eternally existed. Just as Jesus had no beginning, Jesus has no ending. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 7, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Listen, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Understand, folks, this morning, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that cometh to me will, will never die. Listen, folks, we need to understand that he is an eternal God. Our Savior is like that wafer, that manna that was round, that Jesus has no beginning, he has no ending. But then notice, let her see. I see this morning that it pictures the Lord because in verse 31, look what it says here. It says in, in Exodus 16, in verse 31, the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. You see, it was like the Lord because it was white. The Bible says here that this matter of being white is a picture of the purest snow. The whiteness of the manna speaks of the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was born into this world without the taint of human sin. You see, all of us are descendants of Adam, the first man. That blood that flows through Adam is sin blood. Understand this morning that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost. There was no sin in him. And when Jesus died on the cross, there was no sin on him. That he died for our sins, for yours and mine. And the Bible says in 1 John 3, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. The truth is that he was not even able to sin. The word that I use when I describe that sinless nature of Jesus is that he, unlike us, was impeccable. There was no sin in him. Look what Peter writes, because Jesus lived without sin, that he might die for our sins on the cross. Peter says, for as much as ye know, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see that wafer, that manna that God put there on the ground, it was a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the next thing I see in verse number 14. The Bible says, and when the dew that lie was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there was a small round thing 
as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. You study what it talks about here, how that it says that in the morning when the dew, that means that when they went out in the morning, it was there. That means, letter D, that it came at night. Now what you find is when the Lord came into this world, when Jesus left heaven and came here, he came to a world that was trapped in spiritual darkness. Why did he come? He came to give this world light. Aren't you glad when you saw the Lord Jesus for who he was, high and lifted up, that he helped you understand what the light was all about? John 8, 12, Jesus said unto them, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me. Notice he didn't say religion. He didn't say your own way. He said, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. You see, it pictured the Lord Jesus Christ because it came at night. Notice another thing it pictured about him in letter E. It was misunderstood by those who found it. Look at verse 15. It says, and when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Now, the word manna actually means what? In other words, the translation is, what is it? I mean, they're looking at it. Now, remember, these are the people that are starving to death. There's no food. There's nowhere to go to buy food. They don't have the money. There's too many people. And what does God do? God provides for them. But here's the problem. Like many Christians and many in the world today, they didn't understand what it was when they found it. See, just as they didn't understand what it was, guess what happened? Jesus came to this world. And they didn't understand who he was either. Do you know that's still the big question today? Who is Jesus? Well, some say that he's John the Baptist, Elias, one of the prophets. But whom do you say that? You see, what we believe about Jesus determines where we will spend all of eternity. There were many that did not understand him. The Bible says he came unto his own. And his own received him not. Even God's own people, the nation of Israel, didn't understand. He came to the world that he created. And they turned their backs on him. The Bible says over in John 10, 20, many of them said, He hath a devil. And is mad, why hear ye him? Do you know there was a time where I believe that they believed that Jesus was actually in league with the devil? There are people today that have basically taken who Jesus was and made him an illegitimate child. They've done everything that they can to try to dethrone the Son of God. And can I tell you that when they looked at that manna and they really didn't understand what it was, it's no different in our day when people look at Jesus and they say, well, that's what you believe. That's not what I believe. Can I tell you this morning, it's not what you and I believe, it's what thus saith the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we see that they didn't understand what it was that they found. Notice letter F about that manna, how it pictured the Lord, is that it was sufficient for every person's need. I want you to look in verse number 17 of chapter 16. Look at this. 
the children of Israel, they did so. And they gathered. Now look at this. Some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathereth much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his what? His ease. Now, here's what happened is, is that they had some that would go out from the tents, from their dwelling places. They were wandering in the wilderness. They didn't have a permanent structure. And as they would go out for those 40 years, that as they went, listen, every day, and they got twice as much the day before the Sabbath, that guess what they found? Every day they went out, there was enough for them to eat. It was sufficient. It met their need. God knew exactly how much every person needed, the young and the old alike, and all those in between. The manna was right for everyone. Can I tell you this morning that all roads don't lead to heaven? The manna is still right for everyone. They didn't understand this. And it, listen, can I tell you what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the fact that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior of this world. The Bible says in Acts 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How about Colossians 2, verse 10? Ye are complete in him. He's all sufficient. See, every day they went out there, guess what they found? What they needed for that day. You know what God is for you today? He's what you need for today. You know what he'll be tomorrow? He's what you need for tomorrow. You know what he'll be the next day? He'll be what you need for the next day. You know what he'll be next year? He'll be what you need for next year. He is the all-sufficient one, just as that manna was the all-sufficiency for their life in the wilderness. Notice another thing it pictures about Jesus is that it was sweet to the taste. My daughter bought me something the other day. How many of you, and this is a spiritual test, how many of you like apple butter? Okay, everybody's hand that's not up, you're not saved. <laughs> if you've never had it, today for lunch, you got to go to Cracker Barrel. They'll bring the biscuits. Before they bring the biscuits, tell them you got to have apple butter. They're going to bring you a little bitty thing, tell them you need three of them. And then when they look around and you got other people sitting there saying, look, this is just for me. Whatever they want, you got to get it for them. That's just for me. I'm telling you, and when it comes to apple butter and biscuits, I'm Baptist all the way. I baptize them. I drown them. You've got to have it. Listen, now my daughter bought me some the other day, and I so appreciate a loving child <laughs> that loves her daddy. I came home. There was a bag on the counter, and I, I saw the brown bag. I wasn't paying attention to it. And, and then as I walked back by, she said, hey, Dad, I bought you something. And I saw the bag, and the bag said on it, Cracker Barrel. Anything for Cracker Barrel is good. <clears throat> so I went over there and pulled out of that bag a jar of apple butter. Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> well, I couldn't wait. I wasn't even really hungry, you know. I mean, I, but I just... 
apple butter and just calling my name, you know? And when God guides, God provides, you know? And so I, I got a piece of toast and I put it in the toaster and, and you know, apple butter's not just good by itself. You gotta put butter, then apple butter. You, can't, you know, look, if you're gonna go, you might as well do it with a smile on your face, you know? <laughs> And, and so I got the apple butter, and I put it on there, and I took one bite. Oh, I could see it coming to my mouth. Oh, oh, I was about to have a heart attack. I couldn't wait for it to hit my mouth. And, and it was on my tongue, and it was in my mouth, and it was like, what is missing? And I looked at the jar, and it said, Natural. You can't have apple butter natural. It's got to have the sugars in it. You know, there was something missing. Now, look, I'm going to tell you, there probably wasn't a day for 40 years that went by that the children of Israel were not listening. They were probably thanking God every day that that manna tasted like honey. Can you imagine if it didn't taste like honey? You'd just be eating that every day going, give me something to wash this down. But the Bible says it was good to the taste. It was wafers made with honey. It was pleasant. Listen to me this morning. It was pleasant to everyone that placed it on their tongue. What a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that to the sinner, listen, they, Jesus appears like somebody that wants to be a killjoy. He wants to rob them. They, they, they look, if I'm, if I'm going to be a Christian, I won't be able to enjoy life. I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to do that. Hey, folks, you got it all wrong. Jesus is pleasant to everyone. See, as God's children, we who know him, we find that he is the delight of our soul. Jesus makes life worth living. Hey, listen, folks, I'm going to tell you, every day they took that and they put that on their tongue and they started to sing that song. Uh, Jesus is sweeter every day, uh, sweeter than the day before. They begin to think about Psalm 34, 8, a verse that I love and got uh, over the years. Look at this verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman that trusteth in him. I mean, what a great picture of Jesus and how he was sweet to the taste and pleasant on their tongue. Look at another way it pictured the Lord is that it was to be kept and passed on to others. Look back in chapter 16 and verse 32. Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Now, look, if you study the word of God, here's what you find. There were, there were always some wise guys in the group. And some of them thought, hey, look, we understand that God's instructed that we're supposed to have an omer apiece. But, you know, I mean, they don't, God doesn't understand. I'm a grown boy. So an omer's just not going to cut it. I'm going to get a couple omers myself. And my buddy's probably going to get a couple omers too. And what they found is, is that many times, they early on, they would have some left over, and they thought, hey, that's good for a midnight snack. But what they began to realize was whatever was left over began to be full of worms. Nobody's going to eat that. Nobody's going to enjoy that. Again, it was a test, God said, to prove them. Now, think about what we just read in verse 32. God says, I want you to take an omer 
and put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a testimony for a reminder that when God's people for 40 years wandered around in the wilderness, that God provided for them, that God sustained them, that God gave them. Now think about it. If they got too much and it was left overnight, it turned into worms. But isn't it interesting how they took it over and put it in there and it stayed. It did not become full of worms and it became a living testimony. You see, God can do whatever God wants to do. God's ways are not our ways. What a beautiful picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that he is to be shared with other people. The Bible tells us, Christians today, Acts 13, 47, the Lord commanded us saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. You know what God's saying is? God, God's saying, look, by my son, I've sustained you, I've saved you, I've provided for you, and what I want you to do is I want you to be a testimony, I want you to tell other people that my son, what he's done for you, that he can do for them also. And God says, I have set you to be a light of the Gentiles. In other words, the gift goes on. What is the gift? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to share the Lord. We are to pass him along. So this manna, it serves as a reminder to us of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. But notice, not only what did the manna picture, but notice secondly, what did the manna provide? Because as they lived for 40 years, they began to collect those small pieces of manna, those wafers every day. Hey, I did some math, and if I'm right, not counting, because they got a double portion, that's about 12,540 days that they went out and they picked up this manna. Now, they got a little inventive because they picked it up. They began to try to think of different ways to cook it, to grind it, and then eventually to eat it. You know, you think about a lot of different recipes for beans. You can, you can prepare it. You can do things with it. And the people tried various ways to make the manna more appetizing and something that they could do. Look at Numbers 11.8. The people went about and gathered it, ground it in the, in the mills, or beat it into a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. In spite of all that they did with the manna, guess what? It didn't change the fact that the manna that God sent from heaven, the, brain that, the bread that he rained down from heaven, that that manna was their lifeline. It's what sustained them. It kept them from starving in the wilderness. See, the difference between having manna and not having manna was the difference between life and death. Without it, they were dead. It's a picture, a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it kept them alive, and Jesus sustained them, and he will do the same for you today if you come to him by faith. Now, when they went out to get it, it was interesting because there were two thoughts here that, number one, they had to take possession of it, and the first way they did it was they took possession of it by descending. And remember, when they went out there, it was all over the ground. It appeared on the ground in the mornings, and they had to gather it. You know what that means? They had to bend over. They had to kneel down. They had to go to where it was. Look, the only way that a person can come to the Lord, the only way a person can be saved, 
is to bow down, to descend before him with a humble heart. Matthew 18, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Those who come to the Lord, they have to empty themselves of their pride and come humbly before the Lord in repentance. Look at Acts 17.30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, there must come a time in a person's life where they realize that they are a sinner, that Christ died for their sins, and that they must humbly come before him and ask the Lord to forgive them of their sin and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, they took possession of the manna by descending. But notice, secondly, what good is it unless they take possession of it by digesting it? By digesting it. The manna had to be gathered, yes, by the men of the tent. And when it was brought into the tent, it was divided, each one according to his eating, the Bible says. But the manna, listen, was no good unless it was eaten, unless it was digested, unless it was taken into your life. And the only benefit, the only way to benefit from manna was to get it inside of you. I saw an amazing thing years ago, and God put it on my heart. I was thinking about this matter of, what good is it unless something is done with it? True story, back in 1993, there was a man by the name of Kevin Carter. He was a brave photographer. He was one of many photographers who uh, stepped out and chronicled the apartheid era in South Africa. He had seen his share of heartbreak. He knew the stench of death many times as they were filming many things, and while they were filming the famine uh, racking of the land in Sudan, Kevin Carter became exhausted one day after taking pictures, and so he began to head out into the, the bush area, the open bush, and when he went out there, he heard this whimper. He heard the crying of someone, and he looked over, and he saw this scrawny toddler that was collapsed on the way to, to a, one of those feeding stations. Here's the actual picture. Here's this little toddler. You can see his rib cage. You can see how malnourished he was. But you notice something else in that picture. So he hears this child whimpering and he, he took this picture. He snapped a picture of this child that had this plump vulture nearby. Carter had reported that they told them, him and all the other photographers, they advised them not to touch the victims because a lot of them, because of malnourishment, they had diseases and other things. So instead of helping, he just spent 20 minutes observing this little toddler. And while he was there, this vulture many times tried to come near this boy and there were times where he tried to scare away this this vulture and the, the child began to kind of cry a little bit, but he watched as he kept the bird away, the child started to make its way towards that, that feeding center. The New York Times actually ran this photo. 
And uh, Carter just, he never got over it. And the truth was, when he ran it, the readers were so eager because they wanted to find out what actually happened to that child. You see, like food to that starving child, we need to get people to Jesus the way that child needed to get to the food. People need to know the Lord. You can come to church, you can carry the right Bible, you can sing songs, you can hear messages, you can pray prayers, you can do all the religious stuff that you want to do, but if you're never saved, you've never come to Jesus, then you don't know him as your Savior. According to the Word of God, you have to believe on him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what this manna did? It provided life to those that ate it. The Lord provides life to all that believe the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John said, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There are a lot of today people today various religions that say that, that, again, there are many roads that will lead a person. But can I tell you, there is only one road that leads you into the presence of God, and that road is Jesus. Amen. Jesus said in, in John 14, I am the way, the hadas. I'm the road. He says, you can try other ways. You can try to go around me. But all those ways lead to damnation and destruction. Matthew 7, 13, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Folks, that manna that God sent from heaven in the wilderness for 40 years, every day except the Sabbath, God provided, he sustained them, he provided their salvation. Can I tell you, Jesus can do the same thing in our lives today. Every soul that comes to him by faith is delivered from death, separation from God, from the awful wrath of God. That manna, you know what it did? It provided hope to them in a desperate situation. They ate today's meal, and there was the promise that there would be more food there tomorrow as they went out. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He provides that same kind of hope to people everywhere today. When he's your Savior, you know that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, that you will never walk alone, that he will always be there to meet your needs, to bless your life. He will give you his sufficient grace Every day as you live in this world, thank God for the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Can I tell you this morning that we need to understand what the manna pictured? And it certainly pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. What did it provide? It provided salvation. But notice thirdly, what did the manna promise? Now remember, we went back to Joshua 5. And remember, the Bible says that the manna ceased. Now, that sounds like a bad thing. But remember, they were waiting to claim and lay hold on the promise that God had made to them, to Abraham and to all of his descendants. That promise was about to be 
fulfilled. They were about to stake their claim and understand that when the manna ceased, you know why? Because according to the word of God, it was the day after, think about that, God didn't pull it away and then do something. The Bible says the day after the children of Israel had eaten the fruit of Canaan's land. In other words, it was no longer needed. Every day they had picked up and they had eaten the manna, that piece of bread, but God was making them that promise that there was going to be a better day coming, that you are headed to a land that flows with milk and honey. You won't have to eat that manna that falls from heaven. You are going to a place where God will bless you. God will meet your needs. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming, a great day coming by and by. Are you ready for that day to come? How many of you are looking forward to heaven someday? Hey, listen, be all right with me if the Lord came back today. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Look, the, the manna was the Lord's way of promising Israel that they were going to have a better life in a better land. I mean, again, this world is not our home. And when they arrived in that land, Canaan's land, it was a land of victory. And you know what happened? That desert diet, it ceased. They no longer needed that manna when they arrived. That, that manna wasn't what they were after. They were after that victory that God had promised and the riches that God had promised. Look, when your fellowship with the Lord grows deeper, you will become more satisfied in your life. And I'll tell you, don't wander around in the wilderness of this world aimlessly. Live above what God would have for this world. Enjoy the blessings of life. If you're saved today, listen, you ought to understand God's blessings and God's power on your life. God wants to lead you to a place of fullness. God wants to bless your life. God wants you to be in a place of victory in your life. Look, a lot of times we talk to people and people say, where are you from? Sometimes people say where they're from. And I've heard people say, especially if you're from like over in like uh, maybe the Carolinas, people say, oh, you're from God's country. You know, North Carolina, that's God's country. Tennessee, that's God's country. You know, we talk about that all the time, but can I tell you that that's just an expression. The reality is, depending on where you're from, people oftentimes don't agree with that because wherever they're from, they think that's God's country. But when you study the Bible, what's interesting is, is that you have to conclude that God, God has a special attachment to a certain piece of real estate. You can call that piece of real estate God's country. Say, what are you talking about? Well, look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 10. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. It's not where you came from. It's not like the world. He says, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs, but... The land, whither ye go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. Can I tell you this morning, God's not describing North America? People say, Pastor, why do you wear that flag with the flag of Israel? Because I believe that's God's land, God's country. You see, we are certainly blessed here in America, but I believe that God is partial to that stretch of land known as Israel, Palestine. 
And we need to understand this morning that God wants to bring us, just like he wanted to bring his children, into a land of blessing, a place where we would depend on the blessings of God to sustain our lives, a place where we can enjoy the riches of what God has given to us. But listen, all those riches come through Christ Jesus, his dear son. God has blessed us because of Jesus. I'm thankful for the blessings of God, especially the blessings of yesterday. But do you know what we all need? We all need God's blessings today. We need God to do something in our lives today. And you know what it's going to take? A step of faith. It's going to take us the opportunity. Remember, God says, with that manna, I'm going to prove you. And that's what God is saying to us today. Are you willing to lay down that desert diet, quit eating the things of this world and eat the bounty of Canaan? Are you still looking for in your life a place of victory? Do you battle daily with the sins of this world, with the mind and the flesh? Are you still filling yourselves with that steady diet of worldliness and wickedness and sin? Look, folks, I don't know what you need today, but I do know this, that there is a Canaan land filled with good blessings from God. And if you're willing to walk in and claim it, it's yours today. God wants to bless your life. Maybe you're still wandering around in the wilderness in your sin, and you need a Savior. Can I tell you, you came to a good place. God's ready to provide for you. Remember that story about that little boy in the vulture? Let me give you a Paul Harvey moment. Let me give you the rest of the story. Because as he took that picture, the image quickly became a wrenching case study. He just couldn't get the picture of this boy and that vulture out of his mind. The photographers began to debate over it. There was some research that seemed to reveal that the child did survive. Interesting, from this picture, Carter, who took the picture, actually won a Pulitzer Prize for this picture. But the darkness of that bright day never lifted for him. In July of 1994, Carter took his own life. He just couldn't forget. He said this, his words, I'm haunted by the vivid memories, wondering if the food will ever get to those who are starving to death like that little boy. Folks, God has given us his son, the bread from heaven. And I wonder this morning if you would do what God's asked you to do you that you would help get that bread to a world that's still in darkness, that's still hungering and thirsting. Because Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst.